Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Do you hear it? Do you hear it coming around the bend? Why, it's the boys! They're here! Let's hear it for them! Let's hear it for them! Huzzah! Let's hear it for those boys! Hooray, boys! Hooray! I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on Let's Hear It For The Boys, we do a recap and deep, deep dive into the boys on Prime Video. We are looking back at the first season as we're eagerly looking forward to the second season here. Talking about the sixth episode, The Innocence. Now, if you haven't watched the episode, as usual, a reminder here, go watch the episode. Go watch it. We're not going to recap for you. We're just going to talk about some highlights. We're going to jump right into it. We're not going to worry about spoiler warnings or anything like that. We're just going to talk about the best show that is on TV, specifically Prime Video TV, specifically called The Boys, which would be The Boys. That's Uh, a fan. That's a fan right there. (laughs) (laughs) The best show that's on Amazon that's called The Boys. Yes, exactly. It's all leading up to season two. We're laying the groundwork. We're building it back up. We're um, watching and waiting is what we're doing. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I appreciate that little ding there that let us know that an angel just got its wigs. So let's Ooh. talk about the episode. Uh, now, the uh, we'll give you a broad overview of the plot here. It's been a while since you've watched it, though, just so you kind of remember. Um, each episode doesn't exactly follow an event, but it certainly seems to uh, have a highlight, have, have a plot, if you will. Oh, interesting observation. <laughs> yeah, Hot take. Uh, yeah, yeah, and exactly. a little insight here. Actually, they um, a lot of these shows. This this series starts with a script, and mm-hmm. um, oh, like, interesting. <laughs> they have people that write it out so they know going in. I guess what they're going to talk about, and that's what I think you're getting at with this plot. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, this was an improvised on the spot, which I was very surprised to find out about during my yes. research on the boys. But uh, it's very hard to improvise CGI. <laughs> I will say yeah. that. Yes, you could do it, though, if you, you know, think hard enough. Uh, The thing that was interesting to me about this episode is versus the Believe episode, Believe Expo of, say, uh, last episode, this one ostensibly should focus on a washed up superhero convention, which we go to in part, but it doesn't spend a lot of time on that. Mostly it's about visiting Mesmer, who is an old superhero played by Haley Joel Osment. He used to be a member of Teenage Kicks with eight train and Popclaw, poor dear departed Popclaw, Uh, but they're mostly using him to find out information on the female, trying to find out what her backstory is. Meanwhile, Huey and Butcher are palling up together, specifically so Butcher can drive home the moral that all superheroes are bad as Huey falls deeper and deeper in love with Starlight. Starlight... Meanwhile, is focusing on an issue of her own. She's dealing with the ravifications of the fallout of the Believe Expo, where she revealed that she was sexually assaulted by a member of the Seven. That all comes out this episode. The Deep gets at least part of his punishment, maybe not all of it. Uh, And there you go. And uh, meanwhile, Homelander continues to be an evil dick. 
as they film a promo to promote the seven, which ties a little bit into Starlight's storyline, ties a little bit into his storyline. It weaves its little octopus legs everywhere. Now, <laughs> now uh, this <laughs> opens with one of Justin's favorite parts of the show, the kind of like packages they put together in selling the seven. Seven starts with like a, you know, a... A country song and you see Homelander playing with the mm-hmm. kid and stuff like that. And these continue to be a fun through line throughout the show. It's kind of uh, uh, just kind of goes into this whole thing of like it's, you know, it's you think superheroes are one way, but it's like, you know, it's really manufactured to be that. So you feel that way. Also, I want to point out well, that what I like gr- about this show. Oh, okay. I was going to say what I like about this show is that it's criticizing media, um, even above yeah. criticizing like superheroes. So a big part of it is these these packages that you're talking about that I do like so much um, because they go in on on everything. Um, and it, it comes at us in a way we don't quite expect, I think, because we expect this to be sort of a straightforward superhero story, um, or at least at first we did. Um, and so I, yeah, as a line great. producer, you put together packages like all day. You, you're kind of knee deep in That's packages, right. you would say. Um, well, it's funny that you're the way you're talking about it because that's not a line producer's job, and I'm not a line producer. But my job, oh, right, often right. on some of the shows I've worked on, is to make packages like that. So right, but when uh, you get the packages delivered, you put them all in a line, right? So you can get yeah, a. You look order at them. the packages from Amazon, and they're often delivered by FedEx. And then you're like, mm-hmm. wow. Great editing work, um, UPS man. <laughs> well, that was and a when lot you're of staring services. at packages all day, do you kind of like put them in different order, or like how how do you uh, you know assemble your packages? Do you, are you talking about penises? What? Yeah, is that what you mean by talk, It certainly sounded like you were talking about penises. I don't know what you're talking about. I, you were just talking about your love of packages and how many packages you've put together over the years and been with over the years. So I was just trying to. Tee you up, you know. You're really teeing me up. You're teeing me off, is what you're doing. <laughs> um, well, to kind of get back to what I was saying, uh, uh, speaking of lovely packages, uh, great use of the theme music uh, from Fame uh, when we see Helly Joe Osmond for the first time. That was uh, that was some really funny stuff. Yeah, I he's done a couple of things since then, and I'm sure he did things since The Sixth Sense as well that I'm just not aware of. But I feel like when I watched this episode, this was the first time that I re-noticed him, you know, that yeah. I was very surprised to see him in this role. He was very funny in it, very good. Yeah. He's gone on. He had a great guest turn in the season two premiere of What We Do Are in you? the Shadows, which was also hilariously funny. So are I you love judging that, his career? Like, where are you going with this? I'm judging wow. the fact that, like, however old he was in The Sixth Sense, he was this tidy little kid, and that it felt like he disappeared for a good long while, and now he has rejuvenated his career through these more comedic guest-starring roles that I think will hopefully lead to something bigger and more starring going forward. Perhaps... Well, a sixth sense too. I don't know. Wow, well, that would that would be the dream. Spoiler: uh, We know what happens. Um, the I think the funny thing with Haley Joel Osment is it feels like after he finished up being a child actor, he's been sort of playing meta versions of himself ever mm-hmm. since. I think he was on Entourage playing himself, and then these oh, characters that's right. yeah. all feel like they're sort of like I used to be famous, and now I'm this person. Uh, so it, it is funny that he keeps getting cast that way, but he's it's very funny and he's very good at it. The other thing that I like about the Mesmer storyline throughout here, which also plays into Starlight's storyline, 
is the gradations of soups. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but in the comic book, with the exception of Starlight, it's pretty black and white. The compound V essentially does, like Butcher argues on the show, drive these superheroes insane. It makes them evil dicks. It makes them wanton, flagrant, uh, like pseudo Caliglia, Caliglia's essentially, but mm. I, I said that very well. I think uh, but I like, you're always trying to squeeze in a Caligula reference. <laughs> I love that you just are a fan of the history, mm-hmm. the um, the movie from like I want to say the late '80s that yeah. you no doubt watch on a weekly basis. Daily, wow, truly horrifying. <laughs> But I guess my point is that the show changes that narrative, you know, and this is something that's been apparent since the very first episode. Yeah, I think it's good for the TV show because they have more time than the 22 pages of the comic book, even though Garth Ennis, in the best way, does tend to be very wordy and dig into the characters. Here, we've got to watch these people. We've got to watch these living people. And if they are evil dicks across the board it wouldn't work in the same way. So Mesmer, yeah, yeah, he makes some bad decisions by the end, but he's just kind of sad versus Starlight, as Butcher is arguing. I think he's plainly wrong. Like, Butcher is looking at these superheroes the way they are in the comic book. We as viewers are seeing them a different way on the show. Yeah, and I think... um Sort of in that in that world a little bit, talking about like good versus evil. I thought a good sort of point counterpoint uh, sequence, two different sequences were the way Madeline um, deals with Starlight and the way Madeline deals with Homelander in this episode. Mm-hmm, um, yeah, Madeline uh, still was trying to um, uh, put Starlight back in the box after what she um, says at the Believe Expo. And she just straight up rejects what she's saying, like, I'm going to be who I want to be and catch, catches Madeline still on her heels. And then on the flip yeah. side, Homelander, um, she's totally wrapped him around uh, her finger and is able to manipulate him however she wants. Um, and that guy hates blankets, man. Holy shit. Yes. Well, even uh, to the point that I was making earlier, even with Homelander, we get a little bit of sympathy for him. He's probably yeah. the most sociopathic character in the entire show. But we get to see this scene, this flashback of him sitting in a blank room, some scientists looking at him and waving at him, him playing hide and seek with his blanket. But the only thing he has in that room is a target, which is clearly for target practice with the heat rays from his eyes. Yeah. And but he he was raised with nothing, no parents, no guidance, nothing whatsoever. Yeah, but I think that room is very typical of how most kids are raised. You know, um, yeah. I know I grew up in a cement room just like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, how was your how, how was your target practice? How well did you do? Uh, well, at first, uh, when you're a baby, uh, it's very difficult, very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And those scientists who kind of gloom at you through the little window, the little wicking, they don't give you any tips. Nobody's showing you how to do it. I mean, you're just stumbling through it for the first, uh, I would say, eight or ten years of your life, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. were you uh, as were they raising you to be a, the perfect um, improviser? Compound I coursing through your veins. <laughs> yeah, they would throw a bunch of suggestions uh, my way, and if I didn't do the right thing, you know, it really affected the food that I would get. <laughs> well, was the either... beauty of an empty room when you're an improviser is you can just fill it with um, object work. Oh, yes. yeah. Definitely. I can just picture little baby Pete now reaching up to that shelf with the peanut butter, pulling it down, making himself a sandwich every single uh, time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So and <laughs> to get back to this uh, sweet package deal. Uh, now, we let's have keep talking kind of, about your improv room. What was your, your improv room? Why are you Pete? going back so, to packages also? These are all <laughs> because we these have, are both uh, bad choices. So then we have uh, uh, The Deep, who's got to kind of do the apology PSA, as well as like a PSA for his thing, Green Crusader, which uh, I'm very happy that we got to see in the show. As, uh, and Justin, I'm sure you can back me up on this. And someone who's worked in television for a little bit. The background and all that shit that they put in there are, is so fake. And I'm really glad that, that when you have that line where it's like, okay, well, this is good. Put that garbage back. Let's get out of here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, what you think you're seeing, uh, uh, even when they're supposed to be good, it's still pretty awful, whether it's the hero or the television uh, production people themselves. You're, so you're saying all television producers are evil. <laughs> yeah, that's why I left, left television. Yeah, no, this is a little bit of a side discussion, but Justin, I know Pete has that blog where he criticizes all of the packages that you put together at work. How does yep. that make you feel? Uh, I mean, i got to say it's nice to have a fan um, and a <laughs> diligent viewer. Um, I will say the takedowns, feel they sting a little bit. feels unnecessary. <laughs> Just yeah. trying to have a little fun. Um, but to your point, Pete, about... Producers moving garbage out of the shot. I don't wouldn't consider that evil. Um, in a lot of ways, that's nice. Um, but I, to your point in this, like the the TV producer um, is uh, exploitive of the the soups that she's covering, and I think that is like Alex was saying. Like we feel sympathy for a lot of these characters, and I think that's what's so smart about the show is they introduce these people who are ostensibly villains uh, almost across the board. And then slowly we feel sympathy and we start to see what has created them. And you see these, this producer in this throughout the episode uh, filming Maeve, exploiting the fact that she's having this emotional um, confrontation with Elena and not caring about what, what that means for her. Um, Homelander, we feel sorry for him. Even the deep in this, the, he has this, um, he has to sort of confess uh, what he did to, um, to Starlight. And he is so dumb. Like he's so mm-hmm. out of his depth, um, uh, pun intended, Ooh. that you do feel, you, I think you feel like, oh man, this guy has no idea what's happening. And it's not, not yeah. sympathy for, well, what he, for what he's done. It's just like mm-hmm. this person is so just beyond themselves. I think a lot of that is the way that Chase Crawford plays the character. Yes. You get the scene early on in the one that uh, Pete was talking about where he's on the beach. He sees a girl walking by cleaning up the garage and is like, hey, how are you? And, but it's very sad and like yeah. pathetic to do that in the middle of the promo. Then later on, in the absolute worst way, he can't even properly say, I believe women. Like he can't get he doesn't know how to get it's the awful. words out. Yeah. yeah and awful. it doesn't uh, to your point, like it doesn't forgive him. It just makes him pathetic, which makes you uh, sympathize and empathize are probably the wrong words, but understand the character better, I guess. Or it's just not – it's not a caricature. You could see a lot of mm-hmm. different shows being like, oh, this this person is evil in this way, so we don't ever need to rethink about them at all. And I think Homelander here is a good example where you, you feel sorry for him that he was raised in this way despite the fact that we saw him kill uh, hundreds of people on that airplane a couple episodes back. That yeah. is truly one of the hardest scenes to watch in this or many other shows on TV. And you still feel sympathy for him in this moment. So um, – it's really well done. I think, and speaking of great characters on the show, I really like the elevator scene with uh, Maeve 
And, you know, because there's a really we've seen a lot of different sides to Maeve, which is great. She's really struggling with, you know, like what she's doing, how it affects things and like this kind of like hole that she's dug herself in. It, you know, she seems like she hates the team that she's on and kind of the person she's become. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see the way the elevator scene started and then ended, how, how things kind of like transpired. To talk about Maeve's arc a little bit, particularly in this episode, and actually I think it's over the past couple of episodes, not only are we getting a window into her life, I think she is hitting a a crisis point for herself. She's been one way for a very long time, but now she's reaching the point where she's starting to doubt everything about herself, everything that she stands for. She is putting up, she's literally wearing armor in the scene with Starlight in the elevator when Starlight is just dressed in flannel as a normal person, just as herself, accusing her of being what she thinks she is when Starlight, again, is just being on the surface. She is just being true to herself. And that's something that Maeve doesn't know exactly how to deal with, but is leading her to this place where she can decide, am I going to be a better person or not? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I did want to... They just just have her wavering so much, um, which Mm -hmm. I think most characters aren't doing that. I mean, I wanted to talk about A-Train a little bit as well, because I thought that scene, that interview scene is so well done. It goes through so many different things where the it, he starts talking about his backstory and so how dark it is. And she's like, hey, maybe leave out the dark elements. See, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like producers are evil ass fucking people <laughs> who constantly are manipulating the information that we see in here. No, but I think like what they're doing is they're trying to make him less urban, you know, which is oh, a very don't say that no. out loud. No, I'm saying like that's what it is. It's clearly there is very subtle racism going on in that scene yeah, towards right, A Train. Right. And the way that it goes through so many different things is you hit that, you can see how uncomfortable it is, it immediately cuts away to the training montage where he's just pushing himself, but he can't push himself hard enough because he's not yeah. using Comptown V. And then we get that moment where she mentions Popclaw died, which is almost like an off-camera moment. But again, it's just sad to watch him play these two things. It could be manipulative. It could be calculating that he's hiding the information that he killed Popclaw, but you get his sadness at the same time as well. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um that's the thing. These episodes like this where it feels like sort of a, a run of just like catching up on all the different characters in the show, they still find a way to um, really make each of them important to the character and sort of fit a larger thing, a uh, larger theme of uh, these people are all being taken advantage of in some way. Yeah. And I also like how we also got like moments where almost like we, the viewer, were like changing the channel. Like we got to see like different moments of different things. Like there was a moment with like Seth Rogen and Black Noir and then like the channel changed to another thing. So it's this very interesting way that this show is kind of being packaged for us and like the way it's kind of kind of being cut up is very cool and interesting. I'm uh, I'm very much appreciating or rewatching it, all the work that went into kind of like a lot of different things that kind of seem small but are very big. Who Ooh. do you think, uh, of all the characters in the show, who do you think is the most, um, for lack of a better word, evil or bad? The most? Yeah. Who's the character evil? that is the the big bad? It seems like Homelander, but, you know. I could change. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, even with that moment in the cell as a baby where you understand where it came from, 
uh, it's still not it's still not good. Like he's not yeah. doing anything right. that's good. And he certainly has opportunities to change, even if he's totally broken. I think the big problem with him is he seems to enjoy it, you know? Right. Yeah. See, to me, it's, it's still well, I feel like in this episode, she really gets the baton of being mm-hmm. like the master manipulator behind everything. And the, the thing or the person that is pushing everything in the, in the wrong direction or the villainous direction. Yeah. But it's like, even she has a limit where Homelander is willing to jump over that and, you know, murder a whole plane just because he feels like it. I definitely agree with you. She's definitely the puppet master. Uh, but Homelander seems to be kind of off his strings and evil in his own but way. It feels like she is manipulating him so he doesn't yeah. have power or control. It's her the whole time. Even if he he does go rogue every now and again, she just absorbs what he does and moves it in another direction. And, and just to, uh, for my own memory here, you haven't seen all of it yet, right? Um, I have seen this season, yes. The whole first season? Yeah. And you still yeah. feel the way that you're feeling after I the last episode? In relation to this episode, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. I'm uh, saying you might about- change your mind later. Yeah, but he's not going to because he's already seen it. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the female a little bit because that's a big plot line that happens in this episode. The revelations that we get, uh, we find out that her name is Kariko. Is that right? Kamiko. Kamiko. Sorry about that. Uh, her name is Kamiko. Uh, we find out that she was taken by, I'm looking up the name here, but uh, the Shining Light Liberation Army, which is a terrorist organization. She and her brother were kidnapped. She was injected with Compound V, forced to become a soup. And the boys very quickly realized, based on this information, not only is she relatively blameless, uh, despite Butcher sort of disagreeing with that anyway, and we can get to that in a moment, but uh, also that clearly there seems to be some sort of plan to create supervillains along with superheroes, uh, which uh, what do you take away from this storyline? What were your big? Uh, well, the first thing that jumps out at me is that very misleading name of uh, evil corporation, Shining Light. I mean, that seems like the opposite of what they should be doing. So that mm-hmm. was very upsetting, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah. should it be dim light, right? Yeah, but and they had a two-headed snake, which is usually the friendliest of animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. Uh, but also, like, uh, it was it was this thing where at first we thought maybe she was. Uh, evil and horrible, and then when he, uh, you know, he rereads her for the second time, we get this really amazing story about her brother, and it's very heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I uh, my favorite part about this uh, storyline is the the Frenchy Kamiko relationship, and just like, yeah. what is it like? They seem de- absolutely, especially Frenchy, seems absolutely dedicated to her, but do- is it romantic or is it? something else like a kinship or something like it because it uh, well i was definitely struck by that watching it this time because you have the moment when they're watching shark week together on tv and she reaches out and holds his hand there's a lot of hand holding this episode and what hand holding means uh and it struck me in that moment that oh yeah i guess you could look at that as like a shipping moment and i haven't really looked it up but i'm sure there's frenchy female shippers i do think part of Having read the comics where it's not necessarily a romantic relationship so much as a emotional bond that I haven't necessarily gotten that far into being like, ooh, I'm shipping uh, fem, fem wrench or whatever we're going to call it. 
but I could see them going that way on the show, you know, like long term. It's something that could potentially develop. French mail. French mail. There we go. <laughs> I think that's what most people are saying. Yeah, those are envelopes that are like really long, like baguettes, right? Yeah, exactly. And they're full of uh, breadcrumbs. Yes. Oh my and God. cigarettes. <laughs> the Stop. other thing that I think is neat about the female storyline is how it parallels the Homelander storyline because they were both uh, given superpowers, forced to have superpowers. They were raised in less than ideal circumstances, to put it kindly, but ended up in very different places. And that ties into what we were talking about earlier with the butcher speech that all soups are bad, that no, they're not. Uh, Kamiko has decided to go in another direction. Homelander is sticking with who he is, which is a sociopathic dick. Um, And there's gradations in there, which include Mesmer, who initially seems to be like kind of a pathetic guy who just wants to bond with his daughter, but ultimately really is chasing that fame more than anything else. Yeah, Yeah. sells him out at the end, man. Bullshit. Uh, Let's talk Butcher and Huey. Um, Yeah. Because it's in this episode to get Butcher sort of Taking Huey on a little tour around to try to, um, I don't know, harden him a little bit, it seems like. They go to this support group. You get to yeah. see um, Seth, uh, the character who works actually for Vought um, in PR, talk about how he had his penis frozen off. Very fun detail. Yes. Uh, poor guy. Wasn't he also totally beaten up in Preacher? It was funny and sad. He, Malcolm yeah, Barrett's a funny. very funny guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, yeah. He was in Preacher, too. Yeah, and yeah, he also got kind of ripped apart in Preacher. Yeah, yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. And in real life, too. All of the stuff that happened to him, and it's a documentary about his life. Yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff in the show is fiction, but that scene was real. That was the <laughs> actor talking about how he dated a, a frozen princess. Yeah. The Elsa. princess from Frozen. Yeah, Elsa. Yeah. Oh, my God. Go. Come on. <laughs> That's the... Guys, it Disney is, is the, always yeah. watching right. and listening. I just, I I just want to mention like before somebody jumps up at our mentions or anything like that, we know Elsa is the queen of Arendelle, not the princess, all right? That was Ada for a while until she was made, spoilers, queen at the end of Frozen 2. We're all aware. That's not a flex. That's recounting the plot of the movie. Let me, just, let me just whip this out. Flex yes, it real quick. I, like most of the parents of the world, have seen both Frozen and Frozen 2 bow before my majesty, Pete. And let wow. me just say, as someone who watches Frozen and or Frozen 2 every day of my life, <laughs> it's not a flex to talk about that movie. <laughs> well, Either of those movies. Let's keep talking about the butcher thing, though, just to back to that, uh, because one of the big revelations here is we find out what happened to Becca, or at least what he thinks happened to Becca, which is that Homelander raped her. She came back home eight days later. She sat on a park bench, which was his last record of her, and then she disappeared. And so his whole motivation is to destroy Homelander, which, of course, he doesn't get to do this episode because the FBI defers from giving him Homelander. They're too scared of him. Um Reasonably so, I think. Um, I have seen not too many, but certainly recently a couple of people who are checking out The Boys, I think because of interest of season two, who have uh, railed against the sexual assaults of the first episode and rape as a motivator in this episode as well. I know this is a tricky subject, obviously, to talk about, but what's your take on it? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I the fact that so much of the I mean, it it's something that's like fridging a little bit um, where mm-hmm. it, it feels like so many so much of the 
the things that the female characters have to do is just inspire the male characters to go do be badasses or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's too bad that that's such a prevalent motivator in this story. But I will say one thing that I think separates it from so many other uh, comic books and shows that use that as a motivator is they really – not just not really in this episode, but throughout the season, it really delves into that emotional pain and the trauma of those events. So it's not exploited uh, mm-hmm. as much as in other shows. So I, I I think it's better done here. But you do wish it was a little bit different for all these characters. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's well said, Justin, that there is a. The thing that I think works about the show is there a moderation between the shock of, say, a dolphin getting thrown out of a car and exploding and getting run over by a truck, which is shock versus the more serious subjects that they try to treat as seriously and follow as long term as possible. Uh, and without getting into spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen the show before, uh, there is a bit of a twist in terms of Butcher's storyline that becomes revealed by the end of the season that certainly makes you think about this particular motivator differently without, well, we'll talk about it in two episodes time. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking this episode, we see um, Huey dealing with what happened to Robin. Like we never, we got to know Robin for like, well, like 90 seconds before she's killed at the top of the season. But it, at least her death wasn't just to get him to meet Butcher. Like, it is haunting him as he is pursuing this relationship with Annie, a couple that we are, I think, rooting for in general. But you still see Robin popping up. And in this episode, I think he finally is like, I am have moved past the the trauma of that. And he's trying to get away from, from the guilt that he has about pursuing a relationship with Annie since Robin died. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is really interesting about that thing, because we do get this plot line where Huey and Annie go on a couple of dates uh, in this bar. The first time they're interrupted by his friend Eddie, this, uh, who asks him about Annie, about Robin, about everything, where he's been. And then later on, Butcher shows up to really like dig in the knife to him. Yeah. Um, that moment where he looks, he sees Robin, makes a decision, kisses Annie, looks back and does not see Robin, is kind of happy about it. It's a very bittersweet moment, I think, because you're watching that and you're happy for him that he is able to move past the death of his girlfriend. But you're also sad because he is letting go of this person that he loves so deeply and so much. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. Jack Wade does a good job there. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, who is best boy? Who was the best boy in the episode, Pete? Who is Who's your best, best boy? Oh Homelander, man, right? I'm going to have to say I'm going to go with Black Noir. Uh, the way he made the green tea <laughs> and then held it with both hands before he drank it, that was really uh, it was very touching. Uh, I appreciated that and just kind of the absurdity of like a press tour and that kind of stuff, like the way he's sitting with Seth Rogen and being like, "I have to like this guy" or whatever. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I really appreciated that. Justin, what about you? Who's your best boy? No, I, I wanted to say, actually, I I really liked Maeve. The elevator scene mm-hmm. uh, really blew me away. I love how she comes, uh, she can, is so strong and so powerful, but then also, uh, like, just with her face, you can kind of see a little bit about how she cares and is broken inside. It's, it's really, uh, really well done. Cool. I'm going to give it up to uh, Starlight for this episode. Um, I feel like... 
she has to do so much. Um, Aaron Moriarty, the actress, um, is both playing like I'm a regular person in these wild circumstances, but she does a great job of being able to stand up to Stillwell and um, and yeah. still then have these great romantic scenes with um, with Huey um, uh, in this very same episode. And it all really hangs together well. So I, I think she, it was a great episode for her. I'm going to give it up to Homelander, I think, just because the way that those scenes are played is so fascinating to watch. And you love to hate him so much, even in something as simple as just wandering through a farmhouse. Plus, the teases of his backstory, where he came from, are really relatively subtly well done and really nice. I thought they were great. Those scenes are so good and just completely... This sounds silly, but like completely watchable, like just you can't look away from them while they're happening. Good stuff. All right. If you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out and check uh, chat about the book. What did you just say? Said so we sure do do a show oh, every sure Tuesday. Uh, come chat with us about the boys socially. Hear it, number four, the boys on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Now, guys, we gotta wrap this up. I gotta go for my daily watching of Caligula. And we should say, when you do see Pete in the real world, remember to show him your packages. (laughs) 